Stacey Harris, how are you this morning? I'm doing well, and how are you, John? Are you rested and feeling like you are ready to dive into the conversation, just getting back from vacation? Well, I'll tell you what, I had the most amazing conversation. We went from the very earliest technology on the uh, North American continent to the very latest technology. So from, <laughs> from the Chaco... Uh, cultural reservation deep in a canyon in the middle of nowhere in the desert, 20 miles down a dirt road for 1,200-year-old ruins to um, a place called Meow Wolf, which is an inner, it's sort of like Burning Man in a bowling alley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all in the space of a week, right? New Mexico is, is an amazing um, magical place, and we spent we spent our time getting to know New Mexico. So it was fantastic, and thank you for asking. Yeah, well, it, it, I think you're making us all think that maybe there's a new destination for vacations. It maybe it doesn't have to be by the beachside. It could be in a desert with uh, interesting technology or lack of technology environments, depending on how you look at it, right? <laughs> yeah, well, well, so so. This, I had no idea. The, the buildings at Chaco are older than the oldest cathedrals in England. Right? This, this, wow. is, this is, and, and the, building, the building that was at the center of um, the, the park was, in its prime, it was five stories tall and had 800 rooms. It was, it was, it was a um, 800... A.D. Uh, resort hotel um, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, and, and, and this was this was this was a um, a community of places like this. These they called them great houses, and so there was there was basic stone building technology, unlike anything that was that was anywhere for another couple hundred years. Um, all the way to Santa Fe, where the it, it turns out I didn't know this, but the the invention of the atomic bomb was a University of California project that Los Alamos, and that's right outside of Santa Fe. There you go. Well, I tell you, maybe it just goes to show that as far along as we think we are, there's always going to be something ahead of us, right? So, <laughs> yes, that's a, that's great. innovators is the question. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's been a busy week. You missed a lot of good stuff, John. I'll tell you, last week uh, Cornerstone got an infusion of uh, three, um, a lot of money, $300 million, I think it was, and, and uh, they got um, – we have lots of um, small investments being made in C-Money. So you, you missed great conversations about what was happening in the talent management space. And this week we have workforce management and – productivity uh, technology that's in the news. So it's going to be, I think, a, a busy couple of weeks through the end of the year. It sounds like everybody's trying to get ahead of the market before the new year starts. That's great. So where do you want to start? Well, I think probably a good place to start is the Kronos um, update. So Kronos have their um, annual um, 
uh, event for both users and analysts. this week, last week, I think it's this week actually. I know I had a conflict with it. Um, you were going to be on vacation. Um, they launched a bunch of new announcements this week, um, today and yesterday. And it's really exciting because I think for the first time in the last couple of years, um, Kronos is coming out of the gate with something completely brand new. They, you know, up to this point, they've really been sort of pulling some, you know, together, you know, analytics and some tools and things, but they've been sort of developed inside of their existing platforms. They did a couple of small purchases for um, what is now their Workforce Central product, right? But this event, they basically made the big announcement that they are uh, creating their brand new, what they're calling Kronos Workforce Dimensions, um, and that is going to be completely built from scratch, at least based off of what we've heard. I haven't had a chance to look under the hood on this one yet. Um, based on artificial intelligence, I think you'll have a little bit of an update on that. Um, and also it's going to have sort of a platform as a service component to it, so people will be able to program around it. And it seems like it's going to be a full platform, starting with workforce management, which is all the scheduling and time and attendance, but it probably will expand out from that, so it will become a competitor over time with the big players probably like um, Oracle and SAP eventually, obviously not right out of the gate. Um, They also made a big announcement that they are partnering with Cornerstone On Demand. Not surprising, those two organizations partnering up will make a really big, I think, and powerful play against some of the other vendors right now. So uh, big announcement this week, I think, for them. Well, you know, and and if if you're listening and you had read the – the AI report, you would have known some of this stuff um, in advance. The, the way that Kronos is shaping themselves is they're building out from their expertise and um, using the, the data that they built with this huge customer base to make coherent recommendations. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see. Yeah. I mean, they said they put $150 million into this um, product over three years with R&D. Um, it's going to be on the Google public cloud, so it will be sort of scalable at any level um, as far as Google is. And basically, I think, you know, the thing that's, that's interesting to me is that they're starting from a base that sounds like it's more artificial and machine learning-led, and they still have probably one of the highest numbers of overall clients that they could convert to their product. So they have 7,200 organizations that are on their current, what we call Workforce Central. That's their primary workforce management platform. But they have 13,200 clients on all their other products. Um, That's a lot of clients for them that will give them an opportunity to convert over. And it sounds like they're doing a lot of integration tools in the meantime while they're sort of building out this larger platform. Will they have at least, do you know, John, from what you saw, do you think it's going to be primarily all the workforce management elements that are, that are ready to go? Because they know they've got 10 companies that are, that are um, piloting this right now. They have amazing things in the workforce management stuff. So, so they can, they, they have a, an array of services that are based on um, what, what I would call intelligent software. Uh, that look look for patterns inside of each client and help, right? And that ranges from uh, being able to look at a at a draft schedule once it's done and understand what a better schedule would be, to being able to spot fraud patterns in time cards 
uh, with a sort of an automatic process. So I really got the um, uh, thinking about how to make workforce management software smarter thing cooking, and and they're pretty serious about getting into the HCM business, you know, and, and they understand. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Kronos is ever going to be something that Deloitte would want to use as their core HR system, because mm-hmm. Deloitte isn't particularly hourly. But in all of the places that hourly work gets done, Kronos is a logical choice. And building a dynamic uh, total HR capacity based on workforce management is a pretty interesting idea. It it will be, and and that you know those are a lot of big industries: retail, healthcare, manufacturing, all of them, entertainment. Right? Those are all going to have big, big opportunities for work. Chronos. That since where they've had the most opportunity with their um, current tool. Now, one of the things that was sort of interesting, and in one of the articles that I read um, about the launch and the announcement was sort of the the who do they consider their biggest competition right now? And I thought you know. To some extent, it seems like it's the, the mid-level or the, what we consider the mid-market um, focused for HRMS environments like Ultimate and Ceridian seem to be the ones that they're considering as their primary um, competitors where they're partnering with the Oracle, the SAPs, now the Cornerstone On Demand, as well as the Workday. So I think it will be interesting to see how this plays out over the next year and a half. Um, and we know that at this point, anyways, neither of none of the big three, if you want to call them the big three, the Oracle, the SAPs, the Workdays, have invested heavily in their workforce management applications at this point. Most of them have very light tools. Right, and that's where that's what, what's interesting about that is is in the workforce management stuff is is a lot of the most important data that you can have about your team. Yeah. And it's one of the hardest platforms to build out, too, because of the complexity of what it needs to manage and track. So so it will be interesting. I'm sure there will be more announcements coming out from their event um, as um, we start to get some news. I wasn't able to attend the event because I had some personal things this week that I had to go to. You were on vacation, like I said. So we will catch up with them. Both of us, I think, are going to get briefings here soon. Um, and we will have some more probably information next week on this as well. Um, we also had um, some interesting announcements last week that I didn't get a chance to get to, but I thought maybe you might be interested in talking a little bit about this because what they're trying to do with artificial intelligence and Tello, you know, they, they get a lot of money, um, about $20 million in their Series C uh, finance rounding not too long ago, and it looks like they're putting a lot of that money into resourcing new roles within their organization. So they just hired some new leadership team members, uh, Agorva Pataria specifically, who's their new vice president of product and data science. Um, he comes from Google's cloud working environment on Gmail and Google Docs and Chrome. So that was sort of a pretty big hire. And I know you, did you talk to Intel a little bit about what they're doing with artificial intelligence? Because it looks like they're focusing on him as a, as a primary new role on you know, artificial intelligence driven product development. Um, do you think that we're going to start to see more big hires like this in the HR tech space, John? Oh, it's already been going on. The smart recruiters team, um, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that these hires are a response to this. The smart recruiters team, um, they're, I really don't want to keep calling it artificial intelligence, but, but their, their machine learning team 
uh, are all Google search refugees. You know, Google Google has a lot of leadership who do a lot of leadershipy things, and and I've seen the Intello guy Gaurav Kataria positioned as the guy who started AI in Google. There are a lot of people who who are down this road, uh, <laughs> and and so. So there's another there's a, another guy Bobby uh, Brennan who is the new products guy at LinkedIn, same mm-hmm. sort of background as as Gaurav. Um, I think what we're seeing is a is an infusion of Google alumni into our marketplace, and it'll be very interesting to see how they do. And at the same time yet, Google is going the other direction. So Google just announced this week that their new Google search is now going to show the estimated salary ranges for all of those online job listings that they've been touting, right? So, so just if, if you know, remember a few months back, they basically were going to start showing job listings, going to sort of not competing with the job boards, but sort of scraping a lot of the job board stuff together, right? Um, and now it sounds like they're planning to not only show an, an average sort of estimated salary range for these job openings, but it will also scrape details of salary ranges if it's offered in the jobs as well. Uh, it sounds like Google is continuing to head down this path where they want to be a primary tool for at least the consumer end user from a job searching, job sort of posting kind of thing. Are we going to see, is this going to disrupt organizations like the salary.coms and the compensation management tools and, and even to some extent areas um, like glassdoor.com who have made a pretty big business out of, you know, aggregating salaries, or is that where they're getting their information from, do you think? Part of it is that's where they're getting their information from. But, but you know, if you think about the basic model, uh, which is we're going to acquire salary information from job postings. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't really learn very much. Starting salaries for people in jobs, are it's a great piece of insight. It's a really great piece of insight. But what people make for a living has to do with what happens after they get to the company. And the places where salaries are advertised are always in the lower end of the um, pecking order. Yep. And and so so there are going to be some data holes that um, Google has to try to fill, and that's where the the long-standing salary data companies actually excel. And so so I think I think this may not be as big a deal as it as it sounds from the corporate perspective, and it may be an interesting thing from the the consumer perspective. The end user's perspective, yeah. Well, and, and you know, I think, you know, we're also going to see this sort of mixture between quantity versus quality, right? You know, maybe you go one place and get the starting point, and as you've said, one of the biggest things in all of these data-driven conversations is you need more than one resource. You need more than one uh, piece of information to validate sort of how we're doing with our news as well. You know, I, anymore, I no longer think a single news source. I generally look for three or four news sources that are going to validate what everyone's saying. This is becoming the new norm, right? 
Yeah, well, you know, imagine that you're uh, you're looking for a job and you go to Google and it gives you a salary range for for the job. It doesn't come with a warning. It probably should come with a warning, which is the warning should be, this is the opening offer. <laughs> right? This is a low ball. Any, any yeah. number that's posted in a uh, job ad is a starting point for conversation. It's not the end point. Um, and so, so if you take that information without double-checking it some way, you're going to be cutting yourself short. And, and, you know, and that's actually a really good point, because particularly in the United States where negotiation is sometimes seen as a little bit of a, um, a challenge, particularly for certain diverse groups, right? Um, you know, that is, you know, could more information be um, less valuable in some cases if they don't understand where, where they should be able to negotiate or ask for things above what they're getting. So good points on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, it, one of the things that they're touting is that the reason Google is doing part of this is, is really pushing for this is because they see that there's going to be this huge gap in, in basically skilled workforces over the next couple of years. And um, so it was sort of the, again, taking the supposed altruistic approach to this, um, another organization that is sort of tackling this from a different direction is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn launched this week their career advice to connect you with a professional mentor. Now, their perspective is that they're going to connect you with their professional mentor from your first and second degree things, and I, and I think their tool is going to allow people to decide if they want to be mentors or not. Um, I'm not exactly sure how this is going to work for, for LinkedIn. I know they've tried different versions of this in the past. Um, but I also know that career advice hubs have generally, you know, people get sort of excited, if, you know, the first couple of weeks they try and use them and they might find them. But creating a, a mentor, finding a mentor has a lot to do with sort of how you're introduced and whether or not the two of you have similar levels of respect for each other. There's a lot of things that go into a good mentor relationship. And I'm not sure that that can be found in a technology environment yet. And most career and coaching tools really struggle with this issue. Um, but LinkedIn's diving into it, it and I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how much we're going to start to look from an end user perspective towards these sort of open source platforms, if you want to call them that, or these sort of social platforms as the primary end user tools. And we've been talking about this for a while, John. Um, do you think we're going to see more from LinkedIn on, the, on this career side? Do you think this is going to become a big issue, or is this just one more little thing they're adding to the picture? Well, what a, it's, it's a rich area. You know, my mentors, you could not have found this way. <laughs> my, mentors, my mentors didn't come off of Match.com, right? This is, this is a dating service for, for workers and potential mentors. And um, I wouldn't really have wanted somebody who uh, was out to be a mentor. That's kind of creepy, if you ask me. Uh, I I, I want to be a mentor when I grow up. Oh, great. Because I'll tell you what, the people who guided me in the early stages of my career, the the relationship didn't really have an optional set to it. It was, okay, (laughs) I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to tell you what to do, and you're going to do it, uh, was the the basic model there. And – and so I learned a lot as long as I was willing to always 
behave as if the person um, mentoring me was my superior. Yeah. Right? That was the first thing, that, that, that they had something that I didn't have, and so it was on me to behave appropriately. Uh, and, and a lot of people wouldn't believe it, but I was actually pretty good at that and, and learned a lot from, from people who took the time to teach me things. This is something different than that. And so, so part, of, part of what's missing here is a way of having a contract that says, here's what mentoring actually means, and here's how we tell if we're doing okay, and here's how we tell when we're done, here's how we tell if it's not okay. All of that sort of stuff is absent from this. This is, this is just more of that... Um, Link to as many people as you possibly can. Stuff that makes Google, or I'm sorry, LinkedIn, a great database. Yeah, and and I guess for me, the thing that I get very worried about is that you know, we are there is a generation of our workforce that is used to swiping left and right for finding you know their next you know date, and they're they're used to sort of connecting on social with people who they may or may not know on a personal level, right? And I guess my fear is that to give them the the sort of perspective that they can find a mentor in this way, the um, same way as, you know, you can find a, 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 a really good date and possibly, you know, your future wife or husband, you know, by swiping left or right, just feels very, very uncomfortable for me. Um, and maybe that's showing my age, I don't know. But I also feel like it's, it, to your point, it, it just completely sort of undermines the, the possibility of sort of the fact that you really have to have a reason for the two of you to want to connect. And it, it has to be built on something broader than just, I like your background and you like mine, or I'm interested in mentoring at this time. Because as you said, most of the time, the best mentors are the ones that don't have the time and you've got to figure out a way to make it valuable for them to spend the time with you. Right. And some level, right. They've got to feel like they see something in you. That's going to, that's going to be a potential down the road um, that their time will be valuably spent. Right. That's a hard yeah, thing so, to do over social. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the, the idea that there's a generation of idiots out there who have been permanently disabled because they've used technology. I'm I'm hearing that more and more. And that's so reminiscent of the way that, that the generation before me thought about my generation. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right. Uh, It's crazy. You know, the the kids are flakes. Really? (laughs) Really? Exactly. Who were their role models? I don't uh, think I said flakes. I said I was concerned. <laughs> well, but, but here, you know, you painted this picture of, of, of young people who do nothing but diddle their, their cell phones in order to find a date <laughs> uh, because they're incapable of thought processes and social interaction. And uh, you know, and I think that's a parental thing. I, I don't, I don't believe <laughs> that that's actually the case. I, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. There are yeah. uh, changes in the way that we interact that are driven by social media and and technology, but but it, it hasn't changed the core. 
Not so much. Well, and that's probably true. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I think I, you know, the, the good conversations will be had by the people who are interested in good conversations for as long as we've been down the road, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you know, this is another way of just reaffirming my, my view of the world, which is there are a lot of great people and there are a lot of idiots. And, and <laughs> it's a shame to blame the fact that there are a lot of idiots on technology. That's, that's just... <laughs> That's an even better way to put it. I see that you have come back completely refreshed from vacation, John. <laughs> you were calling it as it is. All right. Well, well, maybe one more thing that you can call as it is. I mean, we've been talking about Google. We've been talking about LinkedIn, right, and all these technologies sort of being at the center of what's going on at HR Tech. And yet we're starting to see some cracks, maybe, I don't know, in, in, in some of these large platforms, tool sets. So Google Docs, I don't know if this is the first time it's happened, but obviously it's the first time it's happened at any large length um, for the large audience there. It went down for users over the last couple of days, um, and that was a pretty big deal. It was sort of all over the news. It was, it was, it was sort of splashed, at least from a, from a social perspective, all over the place. Um, so it, it looked like it was down for almost a day, full day and a half maybe almost, it was, and this was after they had announced that there was a bug in Google Docs anyways. So all these Google programmers who are coming into HR – well, maybe they didn't set up the greatest platform in that area. I don't know. But it does seem like there might we might be starting to find some of the limits to some of this technology. Uh, does this worry you, John? I mean, you use Google a lot. Do you notice anything on your Google Doc uh, issues yesterday happen, or the day I before? I think it happened because I came home from vacation. This is why. It was to get me. Um, but... <laughs> Google, Google is a company that built its reputation on free services, and nobody cares if the free service breaks. And as they've grown and tried to extend their business and started charging for stuff, they haven't really figured out how to develop product that behaves like something that you pay for. And so... And they do that all the time. I, you know, I am a personal survivor of Google Glass, and <laughs> and, and that boy was that an expensive move. Uh, and they just stopped supporting it. Uh, they just stopped. They just stopped. They do yeah. stuff like that over at Google. They yeah. are really amazing technically, but they build free stuff. And when they don't, right? You think I'm going to drive a Google car? You're nuts. That was kind of my, my you know, because I can remember, you know, I was very, not dependent is probably not the right word, but I used to use the, the Google tool for gathering up blogs uh, pretty sensibly. It was my way of sort of gathering, you know, sort of making sense of the Internet. And when they stopped that and stopped supporting it and, and got rid of it, totally, I was like, how can you get rid of something that I use daily, right? And I'm thinking, I'm not sure that Google cares that people use something if it's not going to fit into their picture of the world. And I guess that's the part that, you know, how vested are they in the products that they're putting out, particularly if they start out as free products, right? Yeah, I don't think they understand the dynamics of the commercial marketplace. So while I think yeah. they're going to be, they're going to be a disruptive force, it's going to be disruptive in the way that a two-year-old throwing a temper tantrum is disruptive, not um, in the way that Workday is disrupting the enterprise marketplace. 
Yeah. yeah. And which is, to some extent, it'll be interesting to see what Microsoft does here because Microsoft and LinkedIn and Skype are, you know, that that trio of products are starting to really have, I think, a um, the conversation about a lot of them started out as free tools, right? But once Microsoft bought them, the cultural change of becoming a paid product, the question is, can you go through that transition, right, from a free product to a paid product and do it well from to a business level? And we'll see. I guess that'll be the experiment. Um, I, you know, we got just two minutes, and so it might be worth just, just mentioning, John, I don't know if you heard while you are on vacation, but Uber lost its um, uh, – suit with the UK London employment you know market basically they London is is requiring Uber to treat their drivers as employees that's going to have a pretty big um, impact on the gig economy at least in the European market right now um, so they're going to kind of go back I think and fight it and everything but there's a lot of conversation about whether or not we were going to see more of the Uber Lyft gig economy sort of becoming sort of uh, a employee in many cases, you know, um, I don't know what we'll see in the future on this, but that's definitely an area where I think we're going to have a lot more conversations as we start to see lawsuits come out more and more on this topic. Yeah. I'm not sure that you can draw big conclusions about the American market from what happens in London. Uh, the, the European view of what an employment relationship is, is a much longer and more nuanced social contract than we have in the United States. In, in, in the United States, it's much more like a meat market. Um, yeah. When when your time is up, you're gone. Right, and 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 people don't think anything about firing entire departments on two weeks' notice, regardless of where the department is and where the people are, and that simply doesn't happen in Europe. Yeah. Simply doesn't happen in Europe. We're much more Spartan in our in our relations here. So so regular employees, whether they know it or not, regular employees are much more like gig workers in the United States than they are in London. Well, and I think what we're you know as as we get further down this path, part of the conversation is going to sort of come down to you know if we have a a whole market of gig workers. What does that look like from a healthcare perspective? What does that look like from a savings perspective? What does that look like from a taxes perspective? Those are probably the bigger questions. It's not if it will take place, but more so when it will take place. And then, um, you know, sort of building all the infrastructure that we have around employment into those gig workers. And that seems to be the question that, that London's asking as well to some extent. It's not just about the employee's voice. But I think they're also worried about all the same things that we worry about, just at a at a much higher level, right? Yeah, yeah, it'll be good to watch this. Yeah, but we've wrapped up our half hour already, John. It's it's going to be a, a busy couple of weeks finding out what's happening at Kronos and some of the other events that are taking place in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, next week we'll we'll have some more anecdotes about your vacation trip that we can share with everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, we should do this on Wednesday next week, the pre-Thanksgiving show. Ah, it is. Uh, see, this uh, shows you I had forgotten all about the fact that we had a holiday coming up next week here in the United States. No, that's probably a good idea. Maybe we'll do a, a Wednesday. Do we want to do Wednesday morning or Wednesday afternoon? Do you think should what works best for you? Oh, let's call it Wednesday morning. Right. Wednesday same morning, time. same time. So seven o'clock next Wednesday, we will do 
this show because because it'll be turkey time on Thursday. That's right. Everybody will be watching the Macy's Day Parade in New York, hopefully, and cooking their turkeys here, at least in the United States. So, Great. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. So same time next week, Wednesday morning, um, and we'll have a catch-up on everything. We'll talk to you then, John. Okay. Thanks, Stacey. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, it's been great to have you. Bye-bye now.